Welcome to another edition of Coping with COVID. You founders out there, you're doing the hard work, the gladiators in the ring. I'm sitting here on the sidelines, but I wanted to do what I could help, what I could do to help you. And so we bring special guests on here to share their knowledge, share their tips, inspire you and help you make it through this time. So you come out on the other side stronger. And I'm an angel investor. I'm a former founder and CTO tech nerd. With me as usual, my host, Amanda Lewin. Welcome to the program, Amanda. Hi, everybody. I'm a founder, community builder with Bamboo. We do content and space to help founders succeed. And we have one of my friends, mentors, another talented founder uh, here in our Detroit community, Raphael, uh, uh, founder and CEO of Adea Cybersecurity. Um, before that, Raphael was CIO of Duo Security, which I think some of our listeners might know is the first unicorn tech startup in Michigan. And he's been in cybersecurity and tech for many years. Uh, his company specifically now, his new company that he started about, I think, a year ago, Raphael, right? A little over a year, a year ago. So is specifically helpful for startups and small businesses. And now with this whole crazy working from home age, uh, cybersecurity is definitely becoming more important than ever. And it's not going to go away. So we thought today would be a great chance to hear from Raphael both on what his company is doing, what the trends um, in cybersecurity are going to look like for you, um, and a little bit about his founder journey. So Raphael, we'll let you kind of kick off and talk to us a little bit about the state of cybersecurity today. Um, and then, you know, we'll just kind of go into it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for having me today. I appreciate it. Um, you know, one of the core values of Adea is to help others. So we really want to help the Detroit community as well as small businesses out there with this next chapter in the journey of um, post-pandemic. I think what um, you know I've seen in past lives is I've been at multiple security companies, and by no means do I think I'm an expert, but what you see is after an event like 9-11, uh, 2008, when there was the recession, is that the hackers or you know um, the malicious actors are treating this like a, a uh, hacker's Christmas. And what we mean by that is you see a very high percentage of things being done because they can leverage our fear. They can leverage our volume that we're dealing with and our stress levels. And it's not only us, but our employees and our friends and family. So you will all see a big uptake, uptick in um, anti-phishing, I mean, phishing, um, spyware, ransomware. Um, you know, those are things that are like emails where it looks like it's coming from your boss or an investor. And they're asking you for personal information. You'll also see that they leverage the things that we need right now as founders and startups or small businesses. And the big one's going to be the SBA loan program, the grants that are being done by the state of Michigan, and even the IRS to fool us into giving them personal information or stealing that information for other ways to get to either money, uh, credit cards, the long list of things that we've all heard. Um, so I don't like to lead with fear. We just want to educate everyone that this is not only a pandemic in the sense of this virus, but it's also easy opportunity for hackers to leverage the fear and everything that's going on, rightfully so in our communities. Um, and get what they need out of us that could cause long-term damage to our brands 
or those customers that we support and their brands. Raphael, I've always been curious about that mindset where, you know, a lot of us, we see this, this crisis coming and we're thinking how to respond to it. And some people are thinking, hey, this is an opportunity to take advantage of people who are hurting. What, what's up with that? Well, there's two different types of hackers. I mean, there's the ethical hackers that want to teach and train everyone and help cybersecurity companies to overcome issues. And then, yeah, there's those malicious individuals all over the globe that they might uh, get excited about being the reason that a brand like Target or Marriott gets breached. And usually you see that they, the way they get into those larger organizations is through the SMB customers that support them is one of the biggest things or by association of friends and family and tricking them on social media or getting their personal information to then get into those other companies. So it's just the world it's, you know, and, and it's unfortunate, but I think that, you know, if you look back at 2001, I think the, uh, the education and training wasn't there about cybersecurity. It was still upcoming. In 2008, we all started realizing it wasn't about using fear, but engaging with our customers and our community to really help them. And now in this world, I think everyone knows about cybersecurity. It's just at times it can be really confusing. And I think the thing I learned, uh, you know, over the last two years is you can't, as a as a leader or founder get frustrated with your team if they do make an error. We can't just rely on people all the time. It's time for technology to start stepping up and help our employees and help us versus always saying, oh, well, make sure you don't click on that link. Don't give out your passwords. <laughs> We're all human. We're going to make errors. I've made errors. You know, and the simplest thing that used to work yesterday may evolve that quickly in cybersecurity and we can't all keep up. So it's just... Um, it's unfortunate, but it's the world that we live in. It sounds like you're saying there there are hackers out there right now that are trying to take advantage of the fact that people are applying for loans with agencies they've never dealt with before, and people are masquerading as those agencies. And then it sounds like there's software and other tools that can help. So I don't have to try to figure out, you know, am I dealing with the real SBA or the fake SBA? Yeah, there's, this, I mean, there's just some simple best practices for all of us. And so let's suggest someone does call you from the SBA or someone does text you, which is not, is you're very, it's very unlikely the government who is drowning is going to text you or, or call you. So there's the first red flag, but let's say you answer the call and the person catches you in that moment, whereas founders, we're going hundred miles an hour, we're wearing different hats and says, I need your address. I need your phone number and I need your social security. And they have this authoritative voice, right? And I'm the IRS or I am the government and I'm working on your PPP loan. You, you, our mind is to immediately get what they want because we think it might impact on what we're trying to get. But you have to remember the basic things are the likelihood they're going to call you is very low. Texting you, never. If they send you an email, hover over the email address and make sure it really is a actual email from the federal government or the loan agency that's helping you. And when all of that, if you still have doubt, then tell the person that's on the phone, why don't you tell me what my information is? Because if they already had it submitted from you, it should be on their screen. If they hesitate, hang up and, and don't worry, call or email the organization or go to their website to see if it really was them 
that's sending out these informations. Those companies, even the loan ones, rarely call. We all know this. I mean, we've all tried to call in to get help, right? And the wait times are hours. So you you just have to be diligent right now. That's those are the basics. If you talk about where we're going in the in the industry, we have to start designing tools that are for everyone. Um, that is a, an amazing thing I learned at my past two companies is that you can't just focus on one segment. And I get it. I used to sell into the enterprise. It's an amazing space, but we also can't leave behind the small and medium-sized customers as well as consumers on this journey because they have actually probably a bigger need now in this new world than the enterprise because they can afford things, they can hire a lot of people, and they can mitigate the situation much faster. Before we kind of get more into today and the technology that maybe you're providing, I'd love to hear more about what is an ethical hacker uh, for those who maybe don't know. Yeah, so these are individuals that may have been in the world of hacking um, in the unconventional sense and just doing it for fun or maliciously. But then they actually start to realize there's a lot of power in helping companies like cybersecurity companies or um, as an offering to go out and test things and see what's going on in the industry and then report it back to the organization or to you know even do blog and thought leadership. So we, I follow a lot of ethical hackers on Twitter and even LinkedIn, and they talk about new trends that they see. You know, we all we always hear that that scary term, the dark web. Well, it is out there, <laughs> and sometimes um, <laughs> you know sometimes they see things that none of us see, and it's nice that they share the information. You know, back in 2008, the outcome of that, they created the cybersecurity task force at the government level, and all these companies got to be a part of it and are still part of it today. The intent there is to share information, and you do see ethical hackers share the information, or you'll see sometimes when other companies find a vulnerability, right, they share it privately with the other company, allow them to fix it. It usually came from a hacker or it came from someone internally that was trying to hack the software or test it. And so that's more of the ethical hack is enabling and helping versus I'm just doing it for my own personal gain financially or to destroy a brand. I usually find security to be one of those things like taxes where I don't like it, but it's necessary. Except (laughs) there's a blog I used to follow. I think it was Krebs on security. And it was just these amazingly well-written pieces that I, that I loved. Yeah, it's, you know, I guess I love cybersecurity. I wouldn't have stayed in it for 20 years. I think it's really, I think we have done, haven't done ourselves justice in the fact that we started with fear back in 2000 on all technology. The world is going to crash because we're, you know, it's 1999 and the clocks are twisting to 20, 2001. Some of you may not have been born. I don't want to even hear it. I'm dating <laughs> myself, but we, in technology, we, we use fear too much at the beginning of this journey and it's carried forward in IT, cybersecurity. And even you see that in, you know, taxes, HR, right? So we all have our thorns, but I think what's great now is you're see over the last five years, you see that evolution of companies coming out with some amazing technology and truly wanting to help. And, and that's going to be critical. And it should also, because you're probably fatigued, we should stop relying on people to solve cybersecurity. They should be educated, but they shouldn't be the frontline gate in stopping a breach. The technology has started to catch up and we have to just enable them. I have a question there, Raphael. Right now, 
obviously I think a lot of people are feeling different fear and anxiety. We talked about this on our last show and with a few other guests. Um, it sounds like you have the right mindset shifting from fear to helping others. How is your team going to sell cybersecurity? Uh, what we're hearing from other speakers is that it's all about engaging and helping. Do you think that's the best way others can approach that right now? Yeah, I mean, what problem are you trying to help solve, right? So we know that people are getting uh, phishing links. We know that they are frustrated with multiple passwords. I mean, we all have that post-it note or in your phone or in Outlook where you save it because there's just so many, right? Um, I think you have to, and, and even just education. So blogs and like webcasts like this, we love doing these. We do them for our customers. We do them for not our customers. And we always want to help other organizations and loved partnering with Bamboo, you and David on this. I think that you can't go in from a sale, since I was in sales for 10 years going, hey, do you wanna buy my thing? And not really understand their problem, right? Or try to help them. So I do agree with what the other founders or uh, presenters have said to just genuinely put goodwill out there. It will return once the economy comes back around or it might actually solve a problem. And then they do wanna look at whatever you're doing. And that's because you've built a relationship which is sales 101 versus just hammering them with emails and LinkedIn messages and phone calls where they don't even know who you are. It, I wouldn't do that right now. And, and it, it's, it's just not the right timing. Everyone is stressed. And no, they're not going to give you 15 minutes on a call <laughs> when you when you catch them in the middle of the day on their cell phone by some miracle, right? No, it's not going to be today or in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I always hate that one. Like, do you have 15 minutes in the next hour? No. <laughs> yeah, and I always feel guilty because I used to be a cold caller or hunter in sales, as we used to call ourselves. And I just cringe because I'm like, I really don't. But yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, so. You're not like the guy in Boiler Room who gets on there and, and listens to their pitch and tells them how to improve it and then hangs up on them? No, no, no. <laughs> so, Raphael, I know uh, you're a first-time founder. We'd love to hear what inspired you to start your company. You guys have been around a year. A lot of our listeners are early-stage tech companies. Um, so I think they'd love to hear what you've learned in your first year and where you guys are headed. Yeah, um, I can't believe it's been a year. It feels like it was three days ago that I actually talked to both of you and presented at Detroit Startup Week <laughs> right around the yeah. time that we uh, that we had just begun our journey. Um, you kicked I, off the investment track. Yeah, it was on the investment track. So that was uh, two months after we started. So yeah, it, um, I am having so much fun. I know maybe it's just because I, I think because I, I worked for a lot of amazing companies that started in a startup. But I was always that employee that was right after they weren't really a startup anymore, usually around 100 to 200 employee you know, number, and then watch them grow to be amazing organizations through their evolution. I always thought in the back of my mind, it would be cool to be a founder. I would say the final nudge was when I did go to a Bamboo event and helped, I think, some of the people on here and just saw that hustle and saw the excitement in their eyes that they were driving the next part of their journey. It got me so excited. And not only in that I wanted to help them, they helped me. And I don't even know if they, you guys did as well, that I was just sitting here going downtown Detroit is just this ecosystem. And don't get me wrong. So is all of Southeast Michigan, just in case my Ann Arbor friends are there or <laughs> anyone else, you know, I love Ann Arbor and I love Lansing and Grand Rapids 
I just always felt because as a child, I always got to go to Detroit as a special event for the Tigers game or going to Windsor that it was just amazing to see that energy, especially with startups. And so this, the, this, the startup community nudged me into doing it. I knew it's going to be hard. Um, I may have gotten some more gray hair from it. It's totally fine. Um, it was not an easy year um, by any means, you know, learning how to do a seed round and learning how to do a safe or looking to understand how to do payroll and taxes and all these things I'd never done before. I mean, I've done sales, marketing, all the, you know, go to market stuff. I've done IT, I've done operations, but I never experienced setting a ground, a company from the ground up. And what I would say is that the Detroit community was so amazing. I could ask anyone a question and they immediately just came back with an answer. I'm not suggesting other regions aren't like that. I say this all the time to people that are not in Michigan. It's just a different way that we're all working together to help each other that just gets you excited. And when I have them visit, they see it, they understand it. But it's hard to explain to someone that's not in the ecosystem in Detroit experiencing it. So um, I would say, you know, the top three things I've learned, I wrote a blog on it. You guys can read all 15. Um, it's hard. You're going to get told no a lot. You have to be prepared that the answer will likely be no. And then realize that no means you need to really go back and reassess what you're trying to do and ask again. So that's kind of that sales thing, right? Um, when you're like, uh, raising money, trying to hire team members, understanding how to do all of the financials, you're kind of, you know, I always heard founders wear multiple hats. Well, that's exciting to me because I used to be in operations and I loved multiple hats, um, but this is a whole nother level and it's fun um, because I like to be pushed out of my stretch, into my stretch zone. Um, you know, so that was kind of the first thing. The second thing is making sure people that join really trust you, but also understand what a startup is because it's yeah. hard. It really is. And don't get me wrong. We've had people that this just wasn't a journey for them and that's okay. We've had others that I've seen them evolve and grow in a way that is just so exciting because they may have come from a large company and get to enjoy the journey that most of us are have um, enjoyed in past lives. And now I get to uh, have them be part of this journey is really, really exciting. Don't underestimate people because of the gaps in their resumes or that they're, you know, if they really want to jump in, let them jump in. You know, it's an, it's an exciting experience, but you also have to trust them. And I think that's the thing I'm seeing right this minute, unfortunately, with a lot of companies, do you trust your team to work remotely? And unfortunately, there's a lot of managers that don't, even if the culture says they do. And so I think the second thing I've learned is focus on the team in the original world before pandemic, but now also you have to trust them. That the days of us as leaders going, oh, remote won't work. Well, the whole United States is now remote. <laughs> I mean, the, the days of saying you can't work remote because it won't work, there isn't a role besides doctors and nurses, police officers and fire, you know, our first responders that are now not doing the work they used to do in March in this remote world. So I would say that all of you as founders or anyone that is friends with people that work at other organizations, you're lucky if you get to work remote and people trust you. And I mean, things like not clocking in on a, on a clock, time clock, or suggesting that because you're not engaging every millisecond, you're not adding value, right? 
it, it's it's hard, but luckily I had a great mentor in past life who allowed me to work for three years remotely and she trusted me. And it, it was a blessing because that's what we bring forward into Adea. And I hope all of you as founders bring forward as well. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be one or two situations where maybe it's not, but you can't apply that to the masses, especially right now as a founder, if you want to keep your employees, they have to feel like they trust you. And then I have the a third, question no, there. Yeah. Maybe before we go on to number three, in yeah. case of anyone listening who might be in that weird situation where the culture says, you know, we have a strong culture, we can work virtual, but the manager is struggling. Do you have a tip for a founder on how you can create that sense of trust? Is there something you're doing right now that's doing that for you? Yeah, I think when you start to look at some of the um, financial teams and technical teams, right, that's where it can be like a development or um, IT. It's hard to visualize that they're doing something until maybe the work is checked in or maybe they don't check in the work and they're, they're working really hard, right? Um, we, what we did at Adea is we created team rooms. So the manager that is concerned has that team room up on their on their desk or not because they're concerned, but they want to be available. That's really what this is about. The team can pop in and out. And it's like, we call it like walking through the hallway. You know how you have those quick engagement conversations with your team? They can bounce in. We have, you know, our, you know, multiple managers have the room up on their desktop. They can bounce in and out. I love that. Questions. And you don't have to do a Slack or an email or have a misunderstanding. And then it also helps with engagement because then people are like, oh, cool. I can jump into that room and if nothing else, say hi, or I can ask a question about this task or that invoice or this code. So it's not about managing people, but it helps those managers that maybe need to learn how to do remote. It was it was very effective in um, another company I worked with, which we had 400 people in my org and we were rolling out software. It really created that energy of, oh, it's okay that they're working remote. It builds relationships and they get that hallway conversation that they, they're losing when they uh, are remote and can engage with the manager that may not be available. So that's one way. And then don't underestimate chat, uh, whether it's Skype or Slack or whatever you use, the technology. Um, the simplest things of just saying good morning um, and engaging with your team or, you know, um, funny jokes or, you know, that are appropriate, um, you know, just sharing even in a chat environment can keep them feeling like they're engaged. Cause that's the next concern is working remote's not easy. I did it for three years. You, I'm standing in this office right now for seven weeks and I'm starting to realize it's feeling smaller and smaller and smaller. And I love video conferencing and I love engaging, but I'm also a people person. I love being around people. And so I think that what I heard yesterday, your mental health is important as a manager of your people, as well as those that work for those managers. So don't underestimate that you should take a break, even if it's 10 minutes and go sit in the sun and get some vitamin D or go watch a show for 10 minutes or 30 minutes. And while you're eating your lunch, you should still treat your remote work as, uh, you know, breaks. You, you need breaks or you'll burn out. Talking about trusting people and taking chances on people who are unproven, I read that that's trust is important to you. And I think you have some tips for how to find somebody who hasn't proven themselves in a role, but you see that they've got something and you believe they can execute in that role as they grow into it. What's your advice? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I would say for all founders, the three things you, I, at least I believe that you should look for if they don't have the experience is good communication skills. Can they hold a conversation? Can they engage? Are they good at problem solving, right? And are you willing to train them? Because if you're not going to do number three, you shouldn't hire them. It's the end of the, it's the end, it's end game. You can't tell them, oh, we'll show you videos and you do it on your own and all that stuff. No, I'm talking about mentoring. So what we did was our managers, we talked about, okay, well, what if we do bring on someone that's never been in a cybersecurity company, right? We actually love that. They are like, oh my God, I don't know cybersecurity. We openly say in the interview, doesn't matter. We can train you on cybersecurity. We can't train you on good communication and problem solving. And you have those. So if you really want to take that leap of faith and join a company you've never worked for or go into a vertical, I would say as the employer, you should really make sure you have mentors for them. You have checkpoints that someone's putting on the calendar for them. You have some sort of training and reinforcement for the first three months, because that's what it'll take for them to feel like they're part of the organization when they've never been a part of it. But also make sure that, you know, the employee understands, okay, this is going to be bumpy. You're not, you're going to get frustrated in 30 days. You're going to have a panic attack in 90 days because we're pushing you into your stretch zone. And are you really mentally prepared for this? Because it is a big change. You're not going to know everything, but that's okay. As long as the company is saying that's okay, then that's a good thing. If they're not, then you might want to pass them up. <laughs> Someone just commented in the chat. Yeah. Everyone has a 90 day panic attack like me. <laughs> oh, any, I, I mean, my first, God, my first three months as a founder, like 90 days, I was calling my advisors going, what have I done? Or, oh my God, like, you know, and, and my husband's going, breathe, you're, you're in your stretch zone and you just have to keep remembering that, right? Like when we get humans get pushed into our stretch zone and we don't know everything or it's uncertainty, that's when you learn the most. That's the most exciting exciting thing about the journey. So, yeah, they, Raphael, yeah. what keeps you going on this journey? I'm sorry, you both talked to say <laughs> I was going to say, even approaching the challenges, like keeping that spirit of this is fine and this is a problem we're going to solve, that helps alleviate stress because you're not looking at it like, I woke up today and we have another huge problem. You're looking at it like, I'm going to figure this out and I'm excited to figure that out and sort of maintaining that energy. Is really yeah, and helpful. to suggest that you're not going to fail is foolish. You're going to fail. And you're going to fail small on certain days. And then on other days, you might fail big. And you know what? You internalize it, you learn from it, and then you dust yourself off and move on to the to the next thing. I'll ask this to both of you. How do you two as CEOs and founders handle the stress of running companies right now? Um, I think, you know, I like to work out. Um, I'm also doing homeschooling with an amazing seven-year-old and a four-year-old as if that wasn't enough. Um, I'm a horrible teacher and they all deserve big raises after this. I'm a firm believer, like, you know, that my kids are already asking for a substitute teacher because I'm horrible. But, um, I think that, um, I think you just, you have to know that there's good days coming, especially around the pandemic. We are a world where we do find ways to resolve things. I think that, you know, regardless if people believe in this or don't or politics or anything, you kind of have to cut through the noise and just find what is your voice and your thoughts on this and just know that it's okay to be afraid. Um, the stress, I, I genuinely love hanging out with the family. I do work out once a day, although I haven't been doing it for two weeks and I might have ate too many chips. Um, but um, 
you know, there's, there's, you know, and then going for walks. I love going for a 15. I just literally did a 30 minute walk with my daughters around the neighborhood. We're looking for sticks and leaves and little rocks that are, you know, and you just forget about it for 20 or 30 minutes and you come back energized. So I just think you have to personalize what you can do for yourself and, you know, read a book or whatever it is, you, you have to incorporate it right now, or you will be very stressed. Well, um, I think we're close to 1230. So we'll start pivoting to questions. Sure. But I do want to share my thing. Uh, David, I kind of brought it from you on some of our first phone calls on the series. <laughs> we're pacing your house. And so on days where like, I don't, you know, we don't go outside because it's not as nice. I've been actually like pacing my ground floor of my house. And I just feel like I'm getting that walking energy out. And that helps me clear my mind. And then I'm a writer. So I think first by writing. And so although I have also failed at doing this regularly or, or lately, uh, finding that 10, 15 minutes to just journal or write about it, even if it's personal or professional, it helps you start to think in a different way and also like take a step back. And I think that that's been helping me a ton. But it looks like we have about eight questions. So maybe we can hop into questions now. Um, please drop some in, everybody. Uh, one of our first questions is from Diane. What is the biggest vulnerability you see working from home beyond human risk of don't click stuff? Is it a router? Is it Wi-Fi? What is that biggest risk? Yeah, the Internet of Things is what it's called. So all the devices we put in our home. So yes, Wi-Fi from um, your uh, ISP provider can be one component, although they've gotten pretty good about adding security um, to that. There is your nanny cams. There's the... Um, uh, the doorbell, there's, you know, all the electric for the, everything seems to now have an app, <laughs> you know, so it's not even necessarily about the hardware. It's that they can usually get through a vulnerability on the app or the software associated. So um, all I can say is make sure you have a good password. Um, make sure you do password hygiene on those devices at least every 90 days, which is the minimum for best practices. And then, you know, monitor what devices are connecting. I mean, we all can see it. I mean, I have it on my phone. You know, <laughs> there's ways of getting a notification if someone does connect to your network at home and you get a notification. That's through all the ISPs. So just set up those simple things. And then if you do see someone that's not, you know, if you're family or whatever, you can push a button and knock them off. But um, that's probably the biggest thing at home. And then I think, you know, as much as we all love jokes and emails and things on social media that are quizzes and stuff like that um, from family members, you have to remember that's another way for them to do social engineering and backdoor into your personal information and then get into your email account or whatever from a personal perspective, which then can lead into your business. I like that you talk about the convenience because when you're talking about checking the, what devices are on and I thought about logging in my router and I was like, oh my gosh, and that seems to be really the problem with security is like, I know what all I should do, but I don't want to take the time every day to mess with it, you know? Yeah, it takes a couple seconds. I mean, but you can set up the alerts. It takes a couple seconds. I think you just, you know, we have to be diligent right now. And, you know, the question you should ask yourself is, do I go check that box or do I have someone get into one of my children's iPads and then share something inappropriate, which we all saw because of either a vulnerability or the user didn't set it up correctly. So I don't blame mm -hmm. the software. There was a lot of steps that weren't followed. Um, I'm, you know, and I think you just you just have to, you know, it's kind of like um, treat your world like your bank account. I'm sure you have an alert on your bank account, right? 
And because that's a financial piece that took you two seconds when you log in, check the box. It says, alert me if anyone tries to log in as me with two factor. Um, the same thing for, you know, your, uh, your home, just, it, yeah, it's annoying. It takes about 15 minutes, but then it let the software work for you so that you don't have to check it every day. Yeah. Yeah. I liked your tip on getting that alert set up. I didn't know about that. So I was thinking I would have had to log into my router, you know, every day and like look through the logs and I was like, Oh, no, no, no. You can go through usually the portal. I'll just use Xfinity as an example, but all of them, I, you know, rocket fiber, uh, AT&T, all of them have it. You just go into the portal and you check a flag. And then it'll notify you if they see anything malicious. They also have usually software that is free that you have to enable on the Wi-Fi or the router. And then it scans for malicious attacks to block it from your home. That's so cool. Thank you. Uh, Follow-up question from Tonya. Do you have any tools or apps that you use to keep your personal and business information cyber safe? Yes. So um, I'm still a firm believer and love the product. Uh, I use Duo. So I do two-factor. There's a lot of other uh, products out there, but Duo, in my opinion, is still the easiest. Um, And no, I'm not a shareholder anymore. I actually just see that it's an easy thing to use. Um, And it actually connects to your cloud offerings very easily. And then it'll notify you on your phone if there's a problem, as well as ask you to quickly authenticate to validate that. There's a lot of password vaults out there. They're a little clunky, but they do help in being able to protect your passwords. Um, That's kind of if you're more into a financial, like if you're VC or something, or you do touch probably bank accounts, you do probably want a password vault of some sort to protect yourself. Um, And then don't underestimate having a endpoint software on the laptop that you purchased, right? Um, That's actually scanning for virus and um, what do you call it? spyware and ransomware. Um, so even some of the um, items that are OEM and downloaded on there are still capable of catching some of it. Um, you know, it might be free or it might have been part of it. Uh, those are the things that you should really validate and make sure that they're set up correctly. And, and again, I'm not kidding. We do want to help. If you have questions, you can email us at our um, email address and our team will help you. Um, it's help at adayasecurity.com. We get questions all the time and we can help you with, you know, even sharing a knowledge base on how to set up that product that you want to buy or answer some questions. And Raphael, do you want to share a little bit about the product you're building for small businesses, how you will be helping? I know it's coming soon. Yeah. So we go live on June 22nd. We're building an actual suite versus point product. um, And we're designing it in a way where um, you actually get a cybersecurity analyst that's virtual. So with AI and machine learning, you are now going to have an InfoSec person that's doing everything we've kind of described, monitoring, uh, scanning your devices to make sure nothing's been breached, protecting you from phishing, password, um, and, you know, and allowing single sign-on. We're doing all of that um, as a cloud offering. We've built this over the last year. Um, so it's pretty exciting to see the team getting close to the finishing line. They're amazing. Um, and we are going to have some special programs for Detroit and Michigan because we do want to enable uh, them with security. Um, so more to come on that. But um, our software, go, our entire suite, which will have five different pillars that we believe small business owners need, um, is going live on June 22nd. And what's great about it is we had 12 companies locally help us build it. And that's what we know. It aligns to what, if 
founders and small businesses would want because you all helped us build it. It sounds like giving that security and the convenience. Yeah. Because not to do security is it's not convenient sometimes. It's not convenient. So even when people buy software, when I used to sell it at McAfee, you know, I used to sell in a small business space. It was the old antivirus. They would buy it. And then a year later, you'd ask them, well, why didn't you roll it out? I don't have time. I'm not technical. I don't want to be cybersecurity. I don't want to be IT. The cool part is our AI and machine learning takes care of all of that and does even the setup for the users um, so that they don't have to worry about it or be that annoying IT email they get where you go, step one, do this, step two, do this, right? We all hate it. So that's what we're automating. And we're also now able to help small businesses with the ability to have 24 by seven monitoring by an InfoSec virtual assistant, which is great. And we intend to price this in a way that you all can afford it. That sounds like something probably big companies might already be doing if they have a team or a staff. That's Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Their enterprise is doing this seamlessly because they have people and lots of money and they can afford to buy multiple point products. We know in this space with startups and small businesses, they can't. And so we took all four of their problem areas, understood it with those 11 customers here locally that helped us build this and ensured it wasn't just about the solution, but the pro and solving the problems like we talked about, like you guys are describing. I don't like cybersecurity. I don't want to be an IT person. I don't want to have to monitor 24 by seven. And oh, by the way, I can't afford anything out there. It's too expensive. And we've, we've done all of that in our offering that will go live, uh, like I mentioned at the end of June. Uh, since you're close to going live, I feel like this question uh, it also applies from Brenda. How do you have a process that helps make sure that your team is meeting goals? Um, anything you want to share there? Yeah. So in February, we worked as a cross-functional team as what we would call our annual kickoff. Um, people have different definitions of that. And we did that whole uh, Kibana board where everyone wrote goals that they want thought would be great as a company and as a team under different high-level categories. Then we had little, we had... Uh, uh, subtracts go and actually deep dive into those and find the right grouping and make sure that um, we aligned to what everyone wanted. If you don't allow your team to help build the goals, it's hard for them to feel like they were a part of it and then want to reinforce it. So the big ones for us is really about, you know, encouraging our team to feel like they are part of the organization, they are in a trusted environment, and that they will continue to learn and evolve. Um, we also want to make sure that we're always focused on our customers, and that is the small, medium-sized customers, as well as helping our community um, so that we know we're giving back. Um, and, and those were things that, a couple of the things that came out of the team and we've carried now forward into 2020. So my, my response to Brenda is sit down with your team, have them help you build it. And I'm telling you, it, it goes a long way versus in past lives at some of the bigger companies, we used to get them top down and, and we would all roll our eyes going so out of date, don't even know what's going on. And I don't feel like I want to even respond to that or be a part of it. I love it. Thank you. That was great. Uh, David has a cybersecurity question about Alexa and voice products. Um, he wants to know if you feel like corporations like uh, Alexa are helping protect consumer rights and 
what your general thoughts are about voice products and, and branded products like that. Are they secure? Um, I'll take the easier one. They are secure if you set them up correctly. <laughs> um, you know, when you set up Alexa, there's some really cool workflows that tie back to security to ensure that she is, uh, her app is secure. So make sure you do that on the setup. She absolutely is secure. In the same breath, I don't think we all realize what we agree to when we buy anything. There's this thing called terms and conditions. It starts with your phone. The second you turn on your phone, and we all hit the button and pass right by it, right? That phone or that device, regardless if it's Alexa, has already said to you that they will take the data and leverage it as needed. So by accepting your terms and conditions, regardless of who it is, it starts with your device, the phone, the laptops, the TVs we watch. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you have smart TVs. I mean, I was joking, like the other day I had to reset it and I was going through the terms and conditions because I am one of those nerds that read it. And by the end, I, you know, again, looked at Carl and said, I think I just sold one of our kids. If for some reason, <laughs> you know, I don't agree with this, you know, you just, it's so big, but ultimately David, the, you have to understand that when you agree to that terms and conditions, your personal information is part of their cloud offering. It's part of their company. And sometimes, unfortunately, yes, they sell it. Other times they don't. In Amazon, they say they don't sell it. So I'll just start there, to back to Amazon. Um, and I do think that all companies now realize that we have a very low tolerance for our information to be sold or that it's not protected. And you see that with all the breaches that are happening, right? Marriott was just a recent one. Chase, I mean, you can name all the name brands that we hear over and over again. And they know as consumers now, it will ruin their brand and our perception of their brand, even if we have to keep using them for a period of time. So I do believe most companies are trying to protect your data, um, but you also have to take on responsibility that that terms and conditions you're kind of agreeing to some things depending on who it is. Yeah, and it seems like recovering from that brand damage, I mean, that could take years or months. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like anyone would want to risk. Yeah, I mean, I love Target, but remember Target at Christmas? How many people didn't get Christmas presents? I mean, it was catastrophic. I was at FireEye, and it was, you know, an HVAC company that triggered that breach. And People were very angry at Target. I would say it took them two to three years to overcome that. It's crazy. Uh, next question is from Neil. Can he take some comfort working from home if he's properly configured his router and firewalls? What's the likelihood? Is that is that a lower likelihood of being a target? I think we did talk, touch on this, but is there anything you want to add? Well, I would just say it's not just about your Wi-Fi. Remember your endpoint. So the laptops that we're using too and your phone, right? So each device has its own vulnerability. Yes, long way to answer your question. Your route, if you've set up everything on your router, that's driving the traffic. But you could also still go out and try to log into like a Salesforce, right? On your laptop and have spyware on your laptop that's not showing up on the router. So you, you have to be diligent on all your devices, um, and that's why, you know, we encourage people, at least for home use or from working from home, have some sort of uh, two-factor at the beginning. Um, it's, it will help you with those situations. But yeah, your, your router is probably set up correctly and you've set up the notifications. But don't forget about your tablets, your laptops, your phones. And don't forget about your children's, if you have children devices or spouses as well, right? Because they could log in as me and get to, uh, you know, David or Amanda, if we were in the same household, 
And they might want David and Amanda because of the brand, but I'm just the 12 year old kid that was playing on Minecraft and have no idea. Right. So you, you have to be diligent with your, your endpoint devices as well. Neil also had kind of another similar question. Is there a difference between privacy vulnerabilities and security issues when you're looking at all of these tools? Um, that's a hard, I'm not an attorney. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just think you should read them and you have to make your own personal decision. There's, everyone wants to be secure. So don't take any name brand companies not wanting to be secure. Um, but your privacy is something that you're, we're all going to have to grapple with over the next decade because it's always changing. And even with legislation like GDPR and, um, you know, the spam calls that we get on the no call list, even though I'm on every no call list, I went from 60 days of peace and quiet to all of a sudden they just started again yesterday out of nowhere. Um, I, you know, I, it, it's a hard thing to manage. Um, and, and yeah, you're going to have to manage it because I think that somehow our, our information is getting out there and it's hard to track. What do you think is going what to, what do you see as the future of security? I've heard the shoe is going to drop when Google gets hacked and all our search histories become public at some point. Well, David, I don't like using fear. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, anything is possible, including brands um, that are being hacked. I think, I think here's the thing. It's kind of like what, uh, you know, when you were in, uh, in uh, you tell our, we tell our, our children, you know, don't put anything on your phone or out on the internet that you don't want others to see. And if you do, yes, there's always a potential for it, a, someone to be breached and that information to get out to the masses. We've seen it with dating sites. We've seen it with, um, yes, major brands, um, you know, and it's ruined people's lives. So ask yourself, do you really want that picture on your phone? I, I'm not going to answer yes or no, but that does go to the cloud. Do you want that email that was really heated out there and maybe, um, you know, um, potential that it does get out because of a, a disgruntled employee or whatever, right? So you should just always think about what are you putting out into the digital universe that might not be appropriate or may not be something you want associated to your brand then maybe you just do a phone call or maybe you you don't do it in a way where it's in the cloud because everything's in the cloud now. And yeah, it's going to change things in the future, especially with ransomware, um, where they could hold organizations hot or, you know, we've seen it with hospitals. We've seen it with cities and municipalities. We've seen it even with um, individuals that are high profile, um, holding them hostage based on whatever information they could steal. I've heard of some people using phone call services like Wicker, I guess apps to encrypt their communication point to point. How come there's nothing like that for email where it's common and everybody's emails are just encrypted point to point? Well, there is, you just have to pay for it and you have to set it up. There's a lot of encryption software for email. You usually see it. If you ever see um, law firm emails at the bottom, you see the confidentiality agreement at the bottom that usually, yeah, you know, or you see it with like hospitals. That means they're using some sort of encryption software that's tracking not only where that email is going, but is it being forwarded and to ensure that it gets into the right hands. There's also ways of encrypting it in a way where no one can open it unless you have a specific key. And that's usually what you see in um, when you're dealing with federal or government agencies. So it's out there. It's just um, 
I think people get annoyed with it because of the ease of use is gone. I can't just send an email and someone reads it. Now I've got to go through multiple steps to enable it on their end. Or when it comes back, it may not come back the way I'd wanted it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. It's like, you know, why isn't it just built in? You know, like SSL is just built in. So we just all use it now. And maybe if all our Gmail, you know, is just encrypted. I was wondering why that's not out there. I don't, I don't know. I think, it, you know, it's, it's a million dollar question and who knows, maybe there's a founder on here that wants to tackle it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an opportunity. Oh, actually, I, think it's from Bells. I think, I think somebody did tackle that. And then the government, I think, shut them down. They said, they said, uh, I don't know, CIA or FBI or something was like, Hey, we need to backdoor in there. And the founder was like, no, you can't. And shut the company down, I think, to avoid it. Yeah, there, there's different scenarios, but there's also stuff that's overseas that a lot of companies use because, you know, remember, cybersecurity is not unique to the U.S., nor is the expertise all here. Um, you know, there's a lot of countries now that are ramping up cybersecurity in a way that's exceeding um, other mature countries. And, yeah, they're coming up with cool things. So um, I've seen encryption software even overseas. That's pretty slick. Um, but, yeah, it's really up to uh, whoever solves that. All right, we got just a couple more questions left. Uh, one from Vic, I think, because you were talking so much about at home, and what are good best tips for parents to teach their children cybersecurity strategies and practices? Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff on the internet with video and stuff. So you should always Google about kids and cybersecurity. I mean, there's an amazing training out there that speaks in their language. I equate it to the same type of training. If any of you have kids, I actually watched the Sesame Street CNN town hall for kids on the COVID virus. It was pretty cool, even though I was a little disturbed by Big Bird. I didn't understand his voice had changed because... We lost the original Big Bird, but um, that's the type of training, I know, that's the type of training that is out there for kids. So I would just say it's the same basic things, You stranger danger. Someone comes into your chat room you don't know, tell mom and dad or dad and dad and mom and mom. Um, it, you know, someone sends you something that you're not sure about then you should tell your parents. Um, if someone is sharing links with you, you should make sure that you're not clicking on them. In all apps, there are parent control. So on iPads, on everything, you know, the, um, the different stores between Google and Apple, which is where they get applications, you can put parental controls in there to know what they're downloading or even what potentially could be coming from outside sources. And then the other one's big is, is social media. You know, there's some setups there that you sh if your kids are on social media, you should definitely put in some of the security things as a parent to determine who's sending a friend request to your, your child, um, as well as who's trying to chat with them, because that's another way of getting into, well, obviously your family, which is disturbing, but also get personal information. Um, so I would say look for the, um, we call it the, the, uh, the, the cool uh, training out there online and it speaks to them in their language and then just reinforce it as you did with stranger danger and just tell them it's virtual. And, and that's the world we're in. She said, thank you so much. So very much. So that was helpful for her. Uh, next question is from Chaz and it's a follow-up to a lot of the team building you talked about. Raphael, how did you find people outside of your field and were there any areas of experience that translated really well for the business? 
Well, we put, I mean, I think all companies get this opportunity. We put jobs out there. It's what you put in the job description that determines whether or not someone feels like they should apply for it. So if you're going to put 20 years of experience in cybersecurity and you have to have a doctrine and you have to, you know, all these different things that you used to see on job posts, you're not going to get those people, right? If you leave it, you know, you can check out ours. We've written ours in a way where it's a very soft approach to the skill sets, but also points out that we are looking for good communications, problem solving, and someone that wants to take a chance. And that by doing that, we do have training and mentoring and everything else. So it really comes down to your job post. Are you going to copy one, which it's okay to copy it, but, you know, from another site for the technical stuff, but are you going to add all these layers? Because if you are, that's okay. Then that means you're looking for someone with 10 to 20 years experience for that specific job and role, you're not really trying to get that person that maybe just came out of college or is someone that had stayed at home and is trying to get back into the workplace, right? And maybe doesn't have cybersecurity, but they're eager. And then when you talk to these people, you'll know within minutes because we're all from Detroit and we see it, right? Are they hungry? Are they willing to take a chance? And you can see that in the interview. And I'm telling you, those are the ones you want in your organization. You can train them on all the other stuff if you're willing to do it. It's it's that hunger or that hustle, like we say in Detroit, that they are excited and bring a whole nother lens to the organization that actually can help you. You know, when people come in with different views, it actually enables your company, especially as a startup versus everyone's the same cookie cutter. So our team, half of them are from cybersecurity. Others, they're not. And it's great. Because you see all of them working together, they're learning, they're, they're, they're growing with each other, and it's preparing us for our journey. And it probably helps you even speak very uh, easily to more small businesses and startups because you have all those diverse perspectives and backgrounds, right? Correct. Yeah. And so we can, our customers can relate to us, right? You know, we, we, we know that um, from our past lives that we can definitely engage with them and help them in their world. And that's what we want. I see Vic posted down there, Detroit hustles harder. And oh, absolutely. I love that thing. A lot of Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a Detroit-specific question that you might like answering uh, as we get done in these last two, two or three. From Cliff, is there any security software you would recommend to Detroit public school students who are receiving free computers right now for online learning? So not sure if Cliff works in the school system, but wanted your thoughts. Um, I don't know anyone that's offering free right now. I know video conferencing is going across the board. Um, I would say, you know, we hope to help Detroit in all verticals. So I would say if you want to send me an email, I can look at what they're doing and we might be able to find a because we are going to figure we are going to have a very cool promotion for Detroit um, businesses and organizations. Um I haven't seen anything that's free. And I know that's important to, to schools. I have seen where a lot of them give a very big discount and promos that are very lucrative or they defer payments for a period of time. Um, if you do like all the students at once, right? Um, so I would poke around um, on, on the web and see you know, which ones may or may not. Like I said, two-factor is a great thing for students. Um, you know, and making sure that the laptops that they got has the endpoint scan. Usually it's in, it's embedded and just making sure that that's enabled because it was already part of the purchase of the laptop. 
Got it. Thank you. Um, one more from Chaz. Do you have cyber insurance to protect your business or recommend that for others? Um, I, we have, we, we do in the sense of not our customers, but in the lens of a breach to our organization, there's a lot of cool companies out there now where you can get insurance and it's not that expensive. Um, you know, I think it's really up to you because we are a cybersecurity company. Um, yes, we felt like we needed to protect our internal data um, and have that insurance, but it's not for everyone. I think you can, you know, if you have to pick between insurance and a security solution, you should start with the solution and see what might already be included with their terms and conditions um, on protecting you. But yes, if you're dealing with very sensitive information that could cost you your brand, if there was a breach, or you know that a breach in your organization could run up to fifty to $200,000 to have a red team, that's what they're called, come in and look across everything and clean it up so that you don't lose your customers or contracts, then yes, a hundred to $200 uh, cybersecurity insurance is not a bad thing because when that happens, then that would pay for that red team to come in and do the cleanup for you um, because ultimately that's what it's for. Got it. Thank you. So I know we just have one or two minutes left. Raphael, do you want to leave us with any last thoughts on the state of cybersecurity, what you're hopeful for as we reemerge here soon? Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm genuinely, um, no, Detroit is going to turn around because how many times have we had to overcome the small or the big thing? So I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are struggling right now. And even on this call, and I see it in the, um, you know, the business city Detroit room. All I can say is keep trying um, whatever it is that you're trying to get to either of those PPP loans, which I know are very frustrating or grants or help or you know, all the things that our teams and our customers are relying on, just keep trying and then don't underestimate any of us wanting to help. I'm happy to help. I, I know that Amanda does all the time. She's helped me a million times. You know, David, I know there's so many amazing founders and leaders in Southeast Michigan. Um, and whoever wrote that question, yes, even Doug, he's awesome to, to work with, um, you know, that want to help. So, but sometimes if we don't ask for help, we don't know. Um, so, you know, I would find resources and people you can trust and ask the hard stuff. And then for those that are, you know, maybe just general questions, go to some of those community, you know, there's, there's obviously the Detroit, um, Slack room, there's the Facebook pages and you can ask general questions. And I always see founders jumping in to help the other business owner or founders, which is what I love. Um, cause I do feel it's unique to our region. It is. And I think we're all in this together, especially now in these harder times. And we all want to emerge together uh, and we have to lend a hand to each other in order to do so. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. By no means do I feel like I'm an expert, but I enjoyed these questions and conversations. And if there's any way that I, as a founder, can help any of you, um, Amanda has my contact, you know, just shoot me an email. I'll happy to uh, help. As well as if you feel like you need more, you have more questions on cybersecurity, Go to our, um, you know, help at adeasecurity.com email address, shoot us a note and our team will help you. No cost. So we're happy to answer questions. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, Raphael. Thank you, Amanda. This has been another edition of Coping with COVID. 
everyone, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to our Coping with COVID series brought to you by Bamboo Detroit. If you would like to view all of our virtual episodes, you can go to www.crowdcast.io forward slash David Silva Smith. Again, that's forward slash D-A-V-I-D-S-I-L-V-A-S-M-I-T-H. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Bamboo Detroit, located in the heart of downtown Detroit. Bamboo Detroit specializes in co-working space and amenities for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. Bamboo Detroit, where we do more together because Detroit is for doers. If you would like to support our podcast, you can become a sponsor of the Doers Network. We have gold, silver, and bronze packages available. If you have a business you would like to promote, you will be able to reach over 10,000 listeners around the world each month at your fingertips. So if you want to reach our audience of founders, CEOs, innovators, and leaders, become a sponsor today. For more information, email us at info at bamboodetroit.com. We appreciate your support by subscribing to our podcast right here on the Doers Network. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Doers Podcast, where actives grow and thrive. The Doers Podcast is produced by Bamboo Detroit Network. For more information, visit us at bamboodetroit.com.